This is the Yada Yada Podcast, where we get to the heart of the Christian sexual ethic with biblical truths and real talk about sex, purity, and relationships. We're your hosts, Ashley and Amber from Across My Heart Ministries. Hello and welcome to episode six. I cannot believe we are already halfway through the season and finally getting to the topic of the physical aspects of sexuality. You'd think that on a podcast talking about sex, we'd be talking about the physical side of sex a whole lot sooner. But But that just goes to show you how much more goes into sex than just the physical. Right. There's so much theological groundwork to lay. And so we hope that you've been with us, you know, through the first five episodes up to this point, really gathering that vision, that biblical vision for sexuality. But here we are at episode six. And as promised, we are going to be getting physical. <laughs> this episode might make you blush a little bit. It's a fair warning. Um, but it's not It's not an anatomy class. Because, fun fact, Amber actually is paid to teach anatomy to high school students. I so am. if we're not going to be talking about anatomy today, what are we going to be talking about when it comes to the physical aspect of sexuality? Well, we're going to be focusing in on what's called the physiological response. So kind of what's happening inside of our bodies during the act of intercourse. So fair warning, this episode will be a little bit more graphic than our usual episodes. Some of the topics will be, you know, might might make you blush a little bit more than some (laughs) of our other topics have. But it shouldn't make you blush, right? Because um, this is God's good design. And this is how he created our bodies to respond to pleasure, to respond to intimacy and create that bond between a husband and a wife in the marriage covenant. Mm. Um, But the unfortunate part is that, you know, depending on how you grew up, the more religious a household is, Mm -hmm. um, the less likely you are to talk about sex. And so a lot of this information is probably new to you, um, especially if you're not very scientifically minded. You probably haven't heard a lot of this before. And we need to be talking about all the aspects of God's design for sex in Mm -hmm. an honoring way. Yes. Because our silence about it and our silence in, you know, religious households really sends the wrong message. Yeah. It sends the message that it's wrong to be sexual. Hmm. And we know that God designed us as sexual beings, and he mm-hmm. has a good plan and a purpose for that. And so we need to be talking about these things in an honoring way, and we hope to be doing that today. Yeah, we talked last week about God's design for sex and sexuality. While sex speaks of the act, our sexuality speaks of our unique design as male and female. And we also saw how sex can't be separated from our sexuality. Right. So it's, you know, there it's a separate act. Like we're sexual beings and sex is its own act. The act of intercourse when we say the word sex. When we say the word sex itself, but that can't be separated from our sexuality. Right. And God has a good design for sex. And we had those three Ps. We said that there's procreation. There's pleasure, and there's the portraying of Christ's love for his bride, Mm. the church. And whether we're single or whether we're married, we can experience the real, exclusive, unifying, and intimate love of Christ. That's the inspiration behind all of this. Mm -hmm. And we can see that God's design for this deep, intimate relationship, um, when we honor sex within the marriage covenant, we honor this this image that he gave us of his love in the world. And yet, when we degrade our bodies with sexual sin, we, uh, as, as the temple of God, as his very image on this earth, we therefore degrade the image. Other sins take place outside the body, but sexual sin, it takes place at the entrance of the temple of God. Mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. 
So this episode, we are going to talk about specifically the way that we can physically honor God with our bodies by honoring his physical design for sex and, and, and the beauty of that, um, because we are holistic beings. And because of that, um, we're going to see how this physical aspect of sexuality really affects the whole of who we are. I think that you're going to have to unpack that holistic word for us here just just, just for a second. What do you mean by holistic? Yeah. So sex is um, it's mental, it's, it's physical, but it's also spiritual and emotional. Our, our whole being is involved in the act of intercourse. Mm. Um, in fact, everything we do as humans, we do as sexual beings. True. And so yeah. even outside of the act of intercourse, everything we do, we do as either a man or a woman. And mm-hmm. so this idea of sex or even this broader idea of sexuality is holistic because we're holistic beings, right? I mean, we have thoughts, emotions, <laughs> feelings, and what we do with our physical bodies, it affects all of us, our relationships, our thoughts, our mental energy. It's, it's not just a physical thing. And therefore... When we physically respect our own bodies or we physically, you know, have respect for others' bodies, mm. that's respecting them. That's respecting ourselves. And their whole person. Yes. Our understanding of sex and our bodies really affects our perception of others, how we see them, how we treat them. And a biblical sexual ethic, as we kind of talked about a little bit, um, I think last week, you know, it, it does result in honoring women selfless marriages body positivity meaningful deep intimate relationships lower divorce rates that's what god's design for sexuality results in it's holistic but part of being holistic is that it's physical exactly and so today we're going to talk about how it's physical and without further ado we've been mentioning that in this whole little intro. Now we're going to get to it. We so, like to do that. We like to have really long do. intros. So. We like to have intros, set ourselves up, do a little reflecting. Uh, so sex is physical. What, what do we mean by that? Well, we, as sexual beings, we are sexually dimorphic. So we are male or we're female. And what that allows in being sexually dimorphic is it allows us to procreate. So we see this not just in humans, but in all aspects of the animal kingdom and actually even in the the world of plants <laughs> and how they procreate, although it's different, but <laughs> you have a you have this differentiation between male and female. Uh, and the the real beauty in that design and the really huge advantage to that design is genetic diversity. And so we get this genetic diversity from, from a scientific perspective anyway, which just strengthens a population and makes them more resistance against disease and all these other other interesting scientific aspects that I won't get into. Uh, but as physical beings, we are sexually dimorphic, and that speaks to our sexuality and the act of sex itself. Also, as as far as the, uh, the physical side of things, sex is pleasurable. And this is actually pretty unique to the human experience. There, there's been a little bit of research done that shows that in certain species of animals, there's some sort of pleasure that they also experience. But for the most part, everywhere else that we see uh, sexual reproduction occurring, the act of sex occurring, it's there's not it, it's a, a purely functional thing wow. to to uh, keep a species going alive and alive. Um, and, and like I said, there's there's a couple exceptions to that, but in the human experience. It actually is, yeah, procreation is is one of the, the primary benefits of the act of sex itself and important, yeah. but pl- the pleasurable side of it is um, relationship building mm. and, you know, personally enjoying. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's, it's really kind of unique. So sex is a physical thing. 
So it's a fair, it's a physical act that our body physiologically responds to. So there's things that happen inside of our body that make us feel that pleasure mm. during the act of sex, during the act of intercourse. Right. And this actually starts to sort of cross over a little bit into the emotional aspect of our holistic yeah, being. Yeah. And so because when we when we actually start breaking down like what are emotions, right. you know, emotions, when we feel a certain emotion, there's certain hormones and neurotransmitters and mm. things that are being released in our body, chemicals that make us kind of feel a certain way. Right. But obviously, emotions also kind of get wrapped up into um, our heart. And when the Proverbs talks about our heart and making decisions out and of what that we place believe. and what we believe. And <laughs> How so, we choose to interpret yeah, a situation. So emotions are, are, are more than just like rooted in a physical thing, but they kind of, there's this interesting crossover yeah. that happens. And so sex being a physical thing with this physiological response also kind of ties into and creates these emotions and feelings. And that's something we can't really understand unless we understand some of the science behind it. Yeah, that's really true. Actually, I've probably thrown out a few words just in the past couple of minutes that have had some people like, wait a minute, what's she mean? Trying to go back to high school. Neurotransmitters, what? (laughs) So I'm going to take a few minutes and just explain uh, some of the vocabulary here. Uh, and give a little bit of a science lesson. This is like my comfort zone. Yeah. I'm really excited about this. Not that talking about the Bible isn't, but, but this, <laughs> this is-, is what I get paid to do every week. Yep. So. <laughs> Teach a science lesson. So when I say physiology or I say a physiological response, uh, if you uh, maybe you didn't personally take an anatomy course in high school or college, um, but maybe just in passing and hearing people talk about anatomy, a lot of times it's referred to as an anatomy and physiology course. It's not just oh, anatomy. True. It's not just physiology, but it's anatomy and physiology. I never so, thought about that before. Yeah. And so they're, they're kind of talking about two different really important concepts when learning about the body structures of an organism, in this case, the body structures of a human organism, human beings. Uh, and so anatomy is going to be structures. So where things are, you know, where your bones are, where your muscles are, where your brain is in relation to your stomach, where your heart's located, and looking at, you know, different layers of organs, etc. Physiology is more functional. So how does a muscle contract? Mm. How does a bone grow? How does a wound heal? How do you form a blood clot, etc.? Interesting. And so it's looking at more the functionality of the body. So sex being this physical thing really has a physiological, so this functional response that takes place in our body in response to the reproductive anatomy (laughs) that is physically connecting. So there's this physical connection that happens between two bodies, which then causes this cascade of physiological response. Uh, And the way in which our body communicates from one part to the other is by using neurons. So neurons are all over our body. They're from their, you know, from your brain all the way down to your your pinky toe everywhere. They help us to sense and respond to what's going on inside of us. Hmm. Uh, They make up the bulk of our brain. They help us to interpret our experiences, etc. Um, but they really, they really throughout our body, they act like these signal pathways. Now, neurons don't actually touch each other, though. That's the kind of an, an interesting thing. So we are, we have so much stimulus that we are getting constantly from our environment that one of the most, I don't want to say most difficult jobs, but one of the jobs that your body is constantly doing is regulating Hmm. the amount of information that you're taking in. This is fascinating. And so those neurons, uh, there's like a hierarchy as they get up to your brain. So that information has to kind of be like relayed from one to the other. 
And so if they were like connected and like literally stitched together, that would mean that all information would always make it to your brain. That would be so distracting. (laughs) Pretty much. And uh, with that little gap that is between neurons, which is referred to as a synapse usually, Hmm. um, basically a signal has to be strong enough to send enough chemical across that gap to then get the signal to pass to the next neuron. So really, like in a relay race versus just a single runner race, you have a higher chance of, well, fumble. You, You have to, that baton has to be handed over. And in that handing over process, it could be dropped. And so are some people's bodies better at sensing stimuli than others? Like, do some people have neurons that are better at relaying messages? Does that Um, make sense? Yeah. No, it, it, yes, they, they do. And so some people are more sensitive to stimuli than others. And so sometimes neurons communicate better. Uh, Reflexes can play a role in that. So whether you have fast reflexes or slower reflexes, that that kind of gives a little bit of a of a a sampling of how quickly your so I probably must have really slow (laughs) neurological. Well, the interesting thing though is that sometimes with those types of things, you actually can help train your body to be faster. Interesting. So because sometimes I can. Can you have selective? Neurological transmission. Oh, you're like getting you're like getting way further into neuroscience than my knowledge goes here. I want to study this because I've always wondered how sometimes I can't tell if I'm cold until I look at my arm and see goosebumps. Like my body won't send the signal. I'll be so distracted on what I'm focused on. I'm, I'm very huh. single minded. Huh. Interesting. And then Joseph will look at me and say, Ashley, are you cold? And I'll say, I don't know. And then I'll look at my arms, I'll have goosebumps, and then I'll realize <laughs> I'm freezing. I am really cold. Uh, yeah. That's special. That is special. I, I'm going to need to look into this and see if I have slow neurological transmitters. <laughs> or I'm just highly focused on which neurotransmission I want uh, yeah. to be sent to my brain. Uh, yeah. I don't want to feel the unpleasant coldness, so I just will choose not to feel that neurological signal. Selective transmission. Oh, that's too funny. I don't know if that's a thing. I'm not saying it is, but I'm going to look into it now. <laughs> So, uh, yes, in order to in order to send those signals and kind of bridge that gap, bridge that synapse, the chemicals that are sent across from one neuron to another that have to make that connection, make that journey, they're referred to as neurotransmitters. And there are dozens of different neurotransmitters in our bodies that have different functionalities and are involved in different types of of stimuli and different functionality, we're going to specifically talk about the ones that are released and play a role in when uh, during during sexual intercourse. So the physiological response that happens and, and which neurotransmitters are released. So the first one is a neurotransmitter called dopamine. Ooh, I know that's a good one. Yeah. So dopamine has a lot more functionality than than just being actually all Makes of you these, happy, right? Yes. All of the neurotransmitters that I'm going to mention aren't solely just like set aside to be released during sexual intercourse. They have a lot of other functionality as well, but they are all released during sexual intercourse. So dopamine is released when something feels good. So that can be, you know, obviously everything from sexual intercourse which we're talking about now to a warm cozy blanket a warm cozy blanket hearing your favorite song on the radio eating your favorite dessert or your favorite comfort food like it's a wide range of things that can make us feel better than sex cake they have they have desserts that are named that they do have (laughs) desserts that have that name uh, but there's some truth to the dopamine release. There is. Be. There is truth to that dopamine release. So it it also is involved in producing very focused attention. Oh. Uh, and so like when our body starts to release it, it kind of focuses our attention on the thing that is like making us release it. Like really we're like, happy. oh, <laughs> like really focused on what's making us feel good on unwavering motivation Uh, It's always involved in like any type of goal-directed behavior. And the interesting thing is that it's not only released when something feels good, but after we've experienced something that feels good, Mm. it actually is released when we anticipate that thing again. 
So it's released when we have experienced it, and then it will be released again when we do experience it, but it's also released when we think Mm. we're going to experience it. So to the ladies that are married, that shows the importance of like a little flirtation throughout your day. Yeah. <laughs> Anticipating what's going to be happening tonight. Yeah. So, so it, and then, it, then that kind of helps with the whole um, goal directed, focused uh, motivation aspect of things. So, once dopamine is released in response to an experience, it kind of makes it its goal. I'm <laughs> making dopamine personified here, making it sound like it has its own will. <laughs> uh, but it makes it its goal to have it released again with the same experience because we know that felt good so we want to seek that out you're creating your own inside out like disney movie version of the sex hormones (laughs) Uh, yeah 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 (laughs) and this is dopamine and this is what dopamine does Mm -hmm. um so if i'm understanding this right uh dopamine is involved in motivation reward and reinforcement. Yes, exactly. Those are kind of the three the three key words that are always associated with dopamine. And because of the fact that it is released when something feels good, it's always, always plays a role in any sort of addiction that people have. Whether it's an addiction oh. to social media. Yeah. And, and you a know. A dopamine hit. You hear yep, that reference. Whether it's when... uh, some sort of illicit drug yep. or... Um, pornography, pornography, you know, all those things, dopamine does play a role in those addictions. And, you know, I don't want to give dopamine, obviously, just a bad reputation, because it's, it's plays a, a role in just normal, healthy human enjoyment and behaviors as well. Yeah. And everyday life and helping us uh, really feel good about things. But, but if you can't kick that chocolate habit, this is why. No. Yes, <laughs> dopamine. Okay, so that's dopamine. The second the second chemical I want to talk about is oxytocin. And oxytocin is a little bit different. It's actually a neurohormone. Uh, so basically what that means is that it acts as a neurotransmitter hmm. that can communicate between neurons, but it also sometimes released into the bloodstream and has a greater role as a hormone. So it, it, it kind of has a, a two-step functionality. And... It's known as the cuddle chemical because it, it makes us yeah it makes us feel close to others and it promotes affection. So is it only released in romantic relationships? No, or this has a broader application. It has a broader application. So it's absolutely not just for romance. Although it is kind of an important kind of cementing of a relationship um, and making you feel like really attached and bonded to and give you those lovey-dovey feelings. But also like in 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 friendships and familial relationships and in parent. Uh, child relationships, actually a lot of that skin-to-skin time that they tell mothers to have with their newborns right after they're born. um, That releases oxytocin. I remember them saying that. Yep, releases oxytocin. It helps the baby feel really bonded to the mom. And they actually encourage fathers to even do it because you know we we naturally think of a, of a mom doing that but it's good for dads oh, to do to that because that parental bond because yes, then dads have that response to baby and baby has that response to dad and so oxytocin is released to in any skin to skin contact really oh, um, that's why that's why people when they say i'm a hugger you know they're usually like really warm friendly kind of people yeah that feel you feel really close to yep yeah, no, that is really true about some people's personalities, <laughs> yeah. for sure. You meet them and they're like, I'm a, I'm a hugger. Nope. And then the last chemical that I want to talk about is prolactin. And prolactin is actually a hormone. It's not a neurotransmitter, so it doesn't actually communicate between um, neurons. But it is an important aspect of sexual intercourse because it's actually responsible for decreasing arousal after sexual intercourse. Okay, I was I was like decreasing. This sounds like a bad thing. Decreasing <laughs> arousal. So this is after yes. it's released and then Yes, it's released after sexual intercourse to decrease arousal and it's actually directly related to uh, sexual satiety. Well, that makes sense. So the greater basically the release of prolactin after sexual intercourse, like the more the body releases, the more uh, satiated, sexually satiated somebody yeah, feels. you're satisfied. Yes, after sexual intercourse. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So 
the uh, and, and it's amazing how the design does make sense. Yeah. It's so cool. And they all I love three this work so much. together as a trifecta. And they do. And here's and here's actually I'm going to talk <laughs> about the interactions right now. So I wanted to explain the the three parts, and now we're going to look at the interactions. So oxytocin. Uh, the release of it is is the release of oxytocin actually triggers prolactin release in something known as a positive feedback loop. So oxytocin is released, and then prolactin is released. So they both build. So as oxytocin they build, builds, they build, they build, they build. Yep, as oxytocin builds, prolactin builds. So you have that skin to skin contact. And when that's what build doesn't mean they like build, 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 and then release. Is that how it works, or? Um, no, they just like continue to increase. Okay. So they, as one as one's released, it triggers the increase of the other, and that triggers a greater increase of the other. So they the amounts are building. Gotcha, gotcha. The amounts of both are increasing. So you have that skin to skin contact. The oxytocin is releasing, and then that triggers the prolactin to start to be released. So dopamine and prolactin, interestingly enough, are antagonists. So what this means is that the presence of one inhibits the presence of the other. So dopamine and prolactin can't really exist mm. in high levels at the same time. Well, in a way, dopamine's kind of your arousal. Like it's what's making you mm-hmm. want to have sex and yep. you're associating like like you said, the um anticipation. Anticipation, thank you. Yep. And so it makes sense that like the dopamine would come almost like before, like leading up to yep. during sex and then the prolactin's release to say, ah, I'm satisfied. Yep. So dopamine uh, drops drastically after orgasm. Okay. So it builds, 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 builds. It's at, at its height during it's intercourse. Its, yeah, it's at its climax during <laughs> orgasm. There we go. That's a word in our vocabulary. We need to add right in there. <laughs> yep. And so then, then dopamine, so it spikes, it falls off. And then this is what allows prolactin to, to build. So basically, you know, during... From the beginning of sexual intercourse, uh, when you have that skin-to-skin contact, you know, the, the, the dopamine is building and the oxytocin is building. And prolactin wants to build with the oxytocin, but it can't because the dopamine is present. Mm. And so you're increasing oxytocin levels, but you're not able to increase those prolactin levels because the dopamine's present. So until you have that, uh, until orgasm, when the dopamine drops off, and then you have those high oxytocin levels, and then the prolactin is able to come rushing in in response to the high oxytocin and build. And the extent to which the we produce that prolactin after orgasm, it's actually used as an index of sexual satiety. So it's, right. it's actually used scientifically to help measure without somebody even using words, words to say how satisfied to explain they are. to a scientist how satisfied they were with a sexual encounter they can actually measure the prolactin and wow, see that's fascinating yeah yeah it is actually really interesting <laughs> um so during sex with the help of these neurotransmitters there's also regions of our brain that light up and these regions are associated with emotions which shouldn't be surprising uh processing emotions as well as with the reward circuitry. Now, the reward circuitry in our brain is uh, very, very intimately tied to dopamine. So that's the region that tends to release the most the most dopamine. And it's it's responsible for regulating positive and negative uh, positive and negative emotions, as well as emotional memory, processing and retrieval of memories. And then it also helps coordinate and determine behavior. And in this case, more goal-directed behavior. Mm. Uh, And it helps us cement experiences that feel good and causes us to desire to seek them out again. So it makes sense that this is the region that kind of really gets that biggest buildup of dopamine and is the region that is also related with sexual intercourse. Now, one other aspect to everything that's going on in our brain as different regions are lighting up and these communications are being sent from one one part of our brain to another how they're being sent is by neurons so we mentioned that kind of way back at the beginning that's how they're communicating uh in 1949 neuropsychologist donald hebb he did a lot of work with 
communication things in the brain. And he kind of coined this term brain plasticity and the concept being that neurons that fire together wire together. So you you have a certain pathway that your brain takes to light up certain parts of your brain and it's going to be more likely then to take that exact same pathway hmm. the next time. And then the more that it takes that pathway in response to that experience, the more likely it is to continue to take that same pathway. And a key driver to brain plasticity is the reward center. Right. So repeated behavior, whether it's good behavior or bad behavior, our, our brain itself is, you know, it doesn't it doesn't like like we differentiate with the thinking but like right. the actual mat just matter of the brain itself doesn't differentiate doesn't judge the morality it doesn't judge the morality of something um so whether it's a good behavior or bad behavior that's going to get wired in the brain and becomes more likely to be triggered than in the future that same pathway and teenagers brains are more plastic so meaning they have this ability to create these pathways um, more easily than adults. Interesting. So we're more set in our ways as adults. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's why it's so important in as teenagers to be developing a healthy biblical sexual ethic mm-hmm. um, and not be creating pathways that um, become cemented as adults. Exactly. An unhealthy pathways that become cemented as adults. Yep. So as I'm understanding... Um, this means that the more you have sex, the more you want to have sex. Yep. And that the more you have sex with one person, the more you become attached to that one person. That is what the science says. And yep. so this can really be a beautiful design for fidelity mm-hmm. and faithfulness in marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an amazing design in marriage and really a, a gift to married couples. Yep. That God's design would align with faithfulness and loyalty. Yep. That God's design in the body, how he wired, programmed, created us, just affirms and coincides with his theological design. The physiology supports the theology. Exactly. I really I really like to look at this, all this, all this science. Uh, and to me, I just, I see how it really supports this concept of oneness. Mm. And in talking about Yada, in talking about that knowing and being known, um, we're moving towards, you know, oneness, relational, yeah. relational oneness and that knowing and being known. But also, in reference to talking about, you know, sex and scripture, God also actually uses a oneness term that's like an actual like physical cleaving, gluing oneness, not just like a, a spiritual, emotional, you know, knowing and being known oneness. Hmm. Um, and that is in Genesis 2, 24. It says, therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And that term, one right there, that cleave, um, well, actually, the term one, (laughs) one flesh, uh, is the Hebrew word ikad, and it translates literally to mean one. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't have some, like, deeper... Meaning it just it means one, <laughs> not two, but two one. become one. Yeah, only in God's in God's uh, economy does one plus one does equal that one. Work yeah, out? <laughs> does that math work out exactly? But the term cleaved or cleave uh, also in some translations is referred to as joined. Shall be joined unto his wife. That is the Hebrew word debak, and it means to cleave, adhere to specifically firmly as if with glue hmm. or to be glued and so not to be I separated just, not to be separated and so i see this just with this greater understanding of kind of what's going on physiologically and particularly with the dopamine and the oxytocin 
And that oxytocin really being this like relational, like cementing, bonding, bonding glue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I just, and the dopamine being this like seeking something out again. Yeah. And that brain plasticity. And like, again, yeah, the brain plasticity. I just pathways. see how that really supports this concept, this gluing. Yeah. This cleaving word that's chosen and used here. Mm-hmm. Of wanting to have sex again with that same person mm-hmm. of wanting to be close with that one person mm-hmm. becoming one with that one person yeah and uh we we read about in um in the new testament when jesus is asked about sexuality you know and specifically about divorce he quotes you know that passage in genesis mm-hmm. that in Matthew 19, 5 to 6, he says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. But then he adds, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Mm-hmm. And so in quoting Genesis, Jesus adds another layer. Yeah, he he kind of, he he emphasizes the importance of that sexual ethic from Genesis. Yeah. And then he makes it deeper. By saying that this isn't just a decision of a man and a woman deciding to be joined together, but God has something to do with it. Mm-hmm. That th- there's something spiritual happening. Mm-hmm. And there's this added level of authority of God's intervention, um, of God's will, mm-hmm. that what he has joined together, let no one separate. Yep. And that the act of sexuality is meant to be... That that gluing, that debauch, that joining together. Mm-hmm. And he has ordained it that way. He has designed it that way. Yeah, which I think is just so beautiful. And interestingly enough, this little, this little phrase, the two become one flesh and uh, be united or ma- a man being united to his wife and the two becoming one flesh. This is repeated not only in Matthew, but also in Mark 10, 8, Ephesians 5, 31, and it's referenced to in 1 Corinthians 6, 16. And so we really like whenever we're making any sort of theological theological point the Bible to have multiple places mm. that it that it supports You're that not just concept. Cherry picking verses. You don't just cherry pick. You know, not that not that there can't something can't be said only once and still have have authority. But it's you know it needs to fit into it the needs larger to fit narrative. Into the larger narrative, and so for something to specifically be fr- phrased <laughs> the same way and repeated so many times, there's no doubt. That there's no doubt that. that there's something important here. There's something important that God is saying that He really wants to make sure. Mm-hmm. As a teacher, <laughs> I get that. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I will call myself out on it in front of my students. I'll be like, "I have said that three times. I'm repeating myself. Slightly different in 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 not quite exactly the same way, but the same concept three different times because this is important. You know, we even do that on our podcast a little bit. We do. We like, and we talked about this last week. We if you were do. listening. Because when something's important, you repeat it. Yeah. You repeat it. And so he repeats it. And that joined that's used in the New Testament is actually it's it's the it's the Greek counterpart to the Hebrew debak. Um I'm gonna butcher the pronunciation of this, but it's koyao. Koyo. I'll take <laughs> but, you a yeah. word on that. <laughs> Something like that. But it's it's the Greek, it's the Greek counterpart, and it, it means this the exact same thing. It's it's referencing this gluing this that happen that's happening. Um so we can see how the physiology really affirms and works with the spiritual. We can see how the what's going on inside of our body really affirms that two becoming one, all the hormones and neurotransmitters and things that are kind of cementing that relationship, both uh, feeling and really cementing it and wiring our brain uh, in such a way that makes it so that we want to be connected to that same that same person. So something happens biologically that glues us and physiologically, and something also happens spiritually. And the Bible points to it, but we can't we can't quite explain it. Like we can't fully explain the spiritual side. We know it's there because Jesus calls it out when he says in 
when he says in Matthew, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. There is this spiritual aspect that is a little bit, that part is a little bit of a mystery, exactly how we're connected spiritually. But we have to take God at his word (laughs) that he's somehow intervening and causing a gluing, a joining to happen that is physiologically supported, is physically supported as two bodies become one, and that is also spiritually supported because God's saying that it's happening. Mm. And although we might not be able to fully explain it with words, that doesn't mean that it's not logical. It doesn't mean that it's not happening. Right. And it doesn't mean that it's something you haven't experienced yourself. Yeah. Um, just because you can't explain it. Yeah. Um, it's a very real and lived experience. Yeah. I would say. From personal experience of being united and joined to my husband and giving my whole self in marriage, you know, my, my life, um, committing that to him and cementing that with our sexual union on our wedding night. Like, that is a bonding experience. Mm-hmm that you can't exactly put words to. Nope. So because all of these things are colliding with this physical act, it really it makes the stakes higher. Um, because, you know, the physiological response, those same things happen in our body, regardless of the context. It's not like they only happen when you're in a marriage covenant. And... We make connection regardless of the context. Mm. And we crave that experience again. And so it can set up really unhealthy patterns in our life in the wrong context Mm -hmm. and even destructive patterns in our life in the wrong context. And so we're going to take a little bit of time here. And now that we've kind of established oneness and and what's going on, and we're going to look at some of the ways that oneness can really can miss the mark. Mm-hmm. So when there can be kind of an exploitation um, in some of these in in some of these in in regards to some of these ways of the design that God has made, maybe to bring out pleasure of some sort. Um, but ultimately misses the mark of what God's design for oneness is. So the first way that we're going to talk about is masturbation. So with masturbation, self-pleasure, you get a biologic response to sex to that sexual that sexual stimuli. But interestingly enough, it's never quite as as satisfying. And we're going to kind of we're going to look at that science here. In, in just a minute. Uh, outside of, you know, masturbation being an exploitation of God's design, sex is not a solo sport. <laughs> it's not meant to be uh, just you. It's, it's meant to be between a man and a woman in covenant relationship. Um, masturbation is typically fueled by sexual fantasies associated with either pornography a lot of times, uh, or erotica, which erotica is, you know, literary porn. So oftentimes, you know, we kind of, we think that that pornography is more of a man's issue, although mm-hmm. it's definitely not the case. <laughs> right. We, we know the statistics are increasing with, with uh, women more using. women are coming forward, too. Yes. But uh, erotica tends to be, I don't, I don't know as many men who are, who are into erotica as women, but I I mean, I'm sure there are some men out there, but erotica is like literary porn. So if porn is a a picture picture, erotica paints a word picture. Right. So it's reading about sexual fantasies and then imagining them in your mind. Uh, Although I will say that I know that masturbation doesn't have to be associated with these things. It often is associated with pornography or erotica or sexual fantasies, but it doesn't have to be. And I know that because my own personal struggle with it wasn't ever tied to those things. But it was uh, tied to more so just um, stress relief. 
Mm. Yeah. <laughs> because orgasm makes you feel good <laughs> and it relieves stress and <laughs> it can help you sleep or whatever, or anxiety, etc. I've I've heard that from people too. And so I know that it does not have to be because overcoming that in my own life, it I didn't have to overcome any sort of pornography addiction or anything like that, but it was more of a, a addiction to um relieving stress in that way, become mm-hmm. a coping mechanism, I guess you could say. Um, but it's an exploitation of God's good design. So knowing what we know, let's look at how self-pleasure is highly addictive, but not as sexually satisfying. So masturbation, it results in orgasm and the release of dopamine uh, along with the stimulation of our reward centers, just like sexual intercourse does. Those neurons that are firing together, they're wiring together, they're creating a behavior pattern that we associate with something that feels good. But because of the lack of physical contact, we don't have that oxytocin release. So we don't have oxytocin building with our dopamine. Interesting. So the lack of oxytocin results in a lower level of prolactin. A dramatically lower level of prolactin. Which is the sexual satiety. Which is what marks, yes, sexual satisfaction. So a March 2006 study from the Journal of Biological Psychology reported that post-orgasmic release of prolactin is 400% greater following intercourse versus masturbation. So what that means is that prolactin is 400% lower with self-pleasure than with actual sexual intercourse. So less prolactin means less sexual satisfaction. Less prolactin also means more dopamine. Mm. Since the presence of prolactin inhibits the presence of dopamine and vice versa. So the dopamine sticks around so and the dopamine you sticks around. don't actually feel satisfied. You don't feel satisfied, but you still feel that reward. You still feel good, but you don't feel satisfied. You so want to seek it out again. Yes. But you don't feel satisfied. And so it you're never left, satisfies. And it never satisfies. Wow. So you're left, you're left, you know, wanting that good feeling again, because you still do get a good feeling, mm-hmm. but it's like never, well, yeah, it's never actually satisfied. So you're literally like left chasing. Yeah. Um, so excessive dopamine leads can eventually, obviously, this is not the case in every scenario, but it, it can eventually lead to dopamine desensitization and the brain becomes desensitized to dopamine release and it requires more and more of dopamine in order to get the same amount of pleasure. So what this all means is that masturbation can be more addictive than intercourse. There's like things that are interesting. Yeah. So there's things that are kind of built in that oxytocin that is built in to the actual intercourse the actual intercourse action, you know, cements relationship and also helps keep, it can help keep sex from actually becoming a, addictive, like an, unha- not that, and that does happen in some people. Right. Um, but there's usually other contributors But there's contributors usually other to contributors to that, not just, yes, there's usually a lot of layers there when a sex addiction is, is the case. But that presence of oxytocin helps build relationship and kind of helps keep, an unhealthy addiction to sex itself. Uh, And so it's just very fascinating. So when we self-pleasure, we lose out on the sacred oneness that God intended for sex. Mm. Because you don't have another person, specifically your spouse, (laughs) that is involved in that sexual encounter. Another way that oneness misses the mark is through sex outside of marriage. Mm -hmm. We know that from all this scientific, you know, physiological talk that there is a cementing, a gluing that's happening in the bodies. And there's also something spiritual that is happening. And so we see that that these souls are being tied, even though their lives are not. And, and what do I mean by that? You know, think of um, a couple that is either casually having sex or maybe even living together. Maybe um, that try-before-you-buy mentality seems attractive to you. Maybe you're listening to this. You have a serious, you know, significant other, and and you're debating, you know, whether or not your long-held convictions are worth sticking to when it comes to sexual purity. 
and mm-hmm. and how can you know if you'll really be be happy with this person if you don't try out the sexual experience? Mm. Um, but the thing is, you know, practicing for marriage doesn't work uh, because you can't practice a covenant. Mm. You have to make a covenant. Yeah. And when you're having sex with someone, you are entering into a type of promise with them. Mm. You are entering into that physiological promise. And your body is making a promise, even if you're not. Mm. You're having physiological responses regardless of the context. Mm -hmm. You are being tied to another person. Mm. I love this quote from Pastor Tim Keller. He says, you must not do with your body what you are not willing to do with your whole life. Mm. Yeah, that's good. And that's why it's so important to save sex for marriage, not because it's just this this rule to follow, um, but because this oneness in, in sex, it happens whether you are married or not. Mm. And so even in the most casual hookup relationships, even in, in consumer relationships, that, that oneness is happening on a certain physiological level. And mm-hmm. there's something spiritual happening that you're going to carry around Baggage that you will have to unpack. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.16, Do you not know and realize that when a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? The two, it is written, shall become one flesh. Mm. That verse is hard Mm -hmm. to swallow. Because that word join that's used is the same word for cleave that we talked about in Genesis. And this isn't surprising psychologically. Through the Institute for Family Studies, Nicholas Wolfinger, um, a sociologist at the University of Utah, has found that Americans who have only ever slept with their spouses are the most likely to report being very happy in their marriage. In fact, there is a, a decreased risk of divorce with women who have only had one sex partner, the one who they're married to. Um, women who cohabitate prior to marriage or who have premarital sex, they have an increased likelihood of marital disruption. Women whose intimate premarital relationships are limited to their husbands, either through premarital sex alone or premarital um, cohabitation included, they do not experience an increased risk of divorce. Yeah. And so that's an interesting statistic because although that one might not point as much to, you know, I mean, obviously we are advocating God's covenant design (laughs) of saving sex until you're married. But it's interesting how that statistic still shows that that gluing that's happening to one person, like, and just how powerful and potent that can be. And it's not something that should just be trifled with. Right. And so there's, there's obviously layers to even the best of, you know, sociology and statistics that psychology can give us because Mm -hmm. humans are complicated. Yes. And there's a lot going on. But we know that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Mm Mm-hmm. And that when we come before God, regardless of our sexual baggage or sin that we have to unpack, we will find forgiveness and restoration there. And that kind of speaks to the other way that oneness misses the mark, which is through unrepentant sin. Mm -hmm. And that will hold us in bondage regardless of whether it's unrepentant sexual sin or not. Unrepentant sin can ruin the intimacy and the closeness in a marital relationship. Yeah. We've done a lot of of vision casting for God's good design in marriage, uh, just in talking about you know, the purpose of sexuality and talking about yada and talking about you know, uh, the, the three P's of sex and talking today about oneness. And it can be discouraging for somebody who isn't experiencing that 
in their marriage relationship, that oneness, um, and being like, well, I don't have any sexual sin in my life, so why aren't I experiencing that that oneness with my husband? And I would I would venture to say that when there is a falling apart or a falling short <laughs> of of God's intention of God's good design that sin is always to blame right sin is always to blame in some regard and so if there's any unrepentant sin in your life even if it's not sexual sin if it's some other thing whether it's gossip or uh you know, control issues mm-hmm. or pride on your part or your husband's part, that's going to get in the way of creating this this oneness, creating this yada. That doesn't make the vision any less beautiful. Right. God's vision any less beautiful. And that doesn't make us as Christian women, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be Championing, championing that vision, right? It's one Any of, less. Well, and God's design is so beautiful. The vision is so good for sex with your one partner, covenant marriage, husband and a wife, being bonded in the deepest intimacy. That is so beautiful that we want to protect that, and the church mm-hmm. has tried to protect that but often at the expense of making it a singular issue Mm. they have oversimplified it to say if you follow the rules and you're a good girl all the way up until the altar if you're a virgin when you get married that is the solution that's how you get the good life Mm -hmm. and as we can see even from this conversation it is more complex than that. Mm-hmm. We are broken people with so many flaws and failures. But the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I heard you, someone say that this week, and it's it's just stuck with me. Yeah, it's so true. Because we we need to know that God's vision is for all of us. Yeah, even in listening to this particular episode, you may have 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 some sexual sin in your life and recognize that as sexual sin and be like, oh man, (laughs) like those things, they've happened to me and my body with someone else. And, and you might, you might feel a little bit without hope because, you know, we don't, you didn't have control over those, those chemical releases that happen. But I really want to actually turn this around to show you the hope. Like you are equipped now, like with this knowledge, you know what happened in your body. So if you feel drawn still to that person that you had sex with, this is why. Like there was something that happened physiologically that is that has glued you to them. And now you know. And there's something spiritual that happened. And now you know. And so you can be you can be equipped mm. with ways to pray. Yeah. Specifically pray like God, break that bond. Yeah. Break that bond that was made with this person. Um I I know what happened now. I right. know what happened now in my body and 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 you can pray specifically and and just get that just freedom. Freedom. Yeah. By that that not that freedom that that knowledge can actually give you instead of the sh- like don't let the devil use it to bring shame, mm. but let God use it to help bring freedom. Yeah, so you can actually be equipped to mm-hmm. fight this battle. You need to know the war that's raging, in a sense within you. <laughs> yeah, um, these physiological responses that have been true because of maybe your past mm-hmm. that now you need to go to battle and you need to fight specifically spiritually and pray specifically for that freedom because it is there. And we've said it before and we'll say it again that it is not just our sexual obedience, but it is also our sexual restoration. Yep. 
that points to the cross. Our purity is not about perfection. It's not the fact that we don't ever make mistakes. That's not what makes us pure. What makes us pure is God's redemption. We all start in the same place, but we don't have to end in the same place. We can end forgiven and free. Whether you're a virgin on your wedding night or have done the hard work of seeking out sexual healing and restoration Mm -hmm. for any form of sexual sin. Yep. Both are honoring to God. Mm -hmm. Our sexual obedience and our sexual restoration point to the cross and God is glorified in both. Amen. And that's what we want to see here, right? God's name lifted up. Not making much of ourselves, but much of him. That we would passionately pursue his heart with our whole lives. So until next time, know and be known.